let's go ahead and get started. We're going to try to cut it a little shorter this morning, just to allow for everybody to get in place for the baptism service and everything. So let's pray, and then we'll dive in. Um, just going to cover one more day of creation, and then uh, maybe have some time, even if you have questions about anything we've covered. I know we've kind of run right up to time lately and not had an opportunity for questions. So if there's questions you've been hanging on to, even for the last few weeks, maybe we'll have some time at the end. So let's pray and we'll get started. God, we thank you for today. Thank you that we can come and learn more about your word, about creation. And we just pray you bless our time together as we uh, reflect upon uh, all that you've done, all that you've created, uh, who you are, just seeing your power, your sovereignty. Uh, just help this time to be um, a time of worship as we adore uh, your person and your works. God, we just thank you for this opportunity to study your word more in depth. We pray for our equipped classes downstairs with the kids and with the youth, that you bless that time. Be with our service in just a little while as we get to celebrate baptism uh, and just see several people publicly proclaiming their faith in you and their trust in you, their full hope in uh, Christ's death and resurrection. So God, we just pray you bless the day. Be with our events at the community center tonight with youth group and kids club as well. God, we lift the whole day up to you and pray you be glorified in our midst today, that we truly be a people who would worship you in spirit and truth today. We pray all this in Jesus' name. Amen. All right, so we've, uh, so far, in the course of our, I think we've had four weeks that we've uh, spent time in Genesis. We did an introduction, worldview, foundation. We've looked at uh, the first day, taken a few weeks to look at that, a lot there with creation of heavens and earth, the earth without form and void, darkness is over the face of the deep, the spirit of God's hovering over the face of the waters, we talked last week, uh, the separation now of light and darkness in that first day, in the first uh, day which we look at seems to be very clearly a, a literal day, uh, approximately 24 hours, the earth's rotating at this point, there's some source of light causing an evening and a morning, and so now we get to day two, verses six through eight, so let me read them, and then we'll dive into this a little bit this morning. Verse 6, And God said, Let there be an expanse in the midst of the waters, and let it separate the waters from the waters. And God made the expanse and separated the waters that were under the expanse from the waters that were above the expanse. And it was so. And God called the expanse heaven. And there was evening and there was morning the second day. Okay? So, Here's our second day. Um, God is um, speaks again, just like some of the other days we see. God said, let there be an expanse, and it happened, right? He's speaking these things into reality, and so he's speaking this expanse into reality. Uh, what are some, some of you have probably some other translations. Is there a different word uh, in those verses than expanse? Firmament. King James or New King James or... New King James, firmament is a very uh, typical translation of that word for expanse. Any other translations besides expanse or firmament? Okay. Verse 6 through 8, yeah, so it's found, um, yeah, the first part is in verse 6. Vault. So read that whole verse. What, what version is that? NIV, okay.
Okay. Okay, so we're going to get to that word uh, that, that was translated sky. A lot of other translations, ESV, is, is heaven. But again, so we're going to see some variation here in these couple words and, and talk about this. So the word expanse, um, firmament, vault, that's an interesting one. Um, I'd have to dive into why it was they used that word. that's interesting the word vault because um and and yeah we're going to talk about that view as well um so the word literally rakia is the hebrew word it literally means spread out thinness okay so we literally it's something that's that's hammered out or spread out um i almost picture like as i'm trying to wrap my mind around it and 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 think of an illustration is when you take dough and you knead it out and you spread it out right you kind of make it stretch it thin it out um, so that's kind of the, this idea of God spreading out something, this expanse, okay? I think that's probably why the ESV says expanse. It's something that's stretched out, spread out. And then we see, as you mentioned in verse 8, God calls, names this expanse. And in yours it was sky, Jamie, right? It said sky in verse 8. God called the, the vault sky, okay, or the expanse heaven. So it's named. This, this word for heaven is the same word we see in verse 1. In the beginning, God created the heavens and the earth. So it's, he names this space, using the same Hebrew word, shamayim, uh, to, as is used in verse 1, okay? Which can be either sky, heaven, that kind of thing, okay? Um, we talked about in verse 1 how that idea of the heavens was really a picture of space. There in verse 1, God's creating matter. He's creating space. He's creating time, right? All in the, the course of this first day. Uh, matter, space, time. Space is that part where there's not uh, solid matter, right? And so really when we think about this, and, and Scripture uses it in a variety of ways, this idea of the sky or the heavens, there's a picture of when we think about the sky in, within our atmosphere. That's an area of space. We also think about it as far as outer space, right? The heavens in that way, the heavens declare the glory of God, almost more referring to outer space. And then even the Apostle Paul talks about being caught up to the third heaven. We think of heaven as the space, the domain where God, God's presence dwells specifically. Of course, God is omnipresent, but we think about that area where God uh, resides as heaven as well. So there's almost an element where this word's speaking of a threefold space, right? Space within our atmosphere, outer space and even the domain where God is, which, of course, existed prior to the creation here. So it's primarily sky and outer space, okay? So when we're thinking about this. So this expanse is really referring to just God stretching out the space, okay? Stretching things out as far as our sky and as far as outer space, okay? Again, there's no sun, there's no moon, there's no stars yet. That comes later, um, but the space is there, Okay? What else do we see happening here in this first verse? Not only God creating the space, there's another action that God takes in day two. Okay, separates waters from waters. We're going to get to 
And the next day, God's separating the land from the seas. Okay? But at this point, we talked about in verse 2, the earth's without form, it's void. There's, it's shapeless. It's kind of a watery mass, probably like dirt and all this stuff, and the water's just kind of floating there. Um, and so God is now separating the waters below the expanse or under the expanse, okay, from the waters above the expanse. Okay, so what, what do you think this is talking about? Separating the waters from under the expanse, the waters above the expanse. What, what do you think this is referring to? Okay, yeah, a lot of people think this is just God, of course, separating the waters that are, you know, creating the water cycle, right, evaporation where there's, of course, water up in the sky. I like this quote uh, from John Phillips. It's just amazing to think about. But he says, the amount of vapor continually suspended into the air above us is estimated at 54 trillion 460 billion tons. Okay, that's a huge number. Trillions of tons of water. Water is 773 times the weight of air. So that gives some idea of the power required to separate the waters from the waters. The annual precipitation in the form of rain and snow that falls upon the earth is the equivalent of 186,000 cubic miles, enough to cover the entire earth to a depth of three feet. The supply of water above the earth is maintained by evaporation, the constant uplifting of water from the earth into the atmosphere by the power of the sun. So just think about all that water that's constantly being evaporated. Um, again, in the course of, it said, a year, three feet of precipitation would, if it, of course, if it all dumped at once, it wouldn't be three feet deep. I think I read somewhere it would only be an inch deep across the world. But still, the amount of water that's suspended in the air, this definitely could just be simply referring to that. God, of course, I think in, in this, creating the atmosphere, creating the water cycle as water is then evaporated and falls, that could definitely be the case. Now, it does mention in chapter 2, We'll get to this more, but it is worth noting in chapter 2, verse 5, it says, When no bush of the field was yet in the land, and no small plant of the field had yet sprung up, for the Lord had not caused it to rain on the land, and there was no man to work the ground, and a mist was going up from the land and was watering the whole face of the ground. Then the Lord God formed the man of the dust from the ground. So this is the creation of man on day 6, a more thorough account of that. So, it seems to suggest there's not a rain cycle, a water cycle in the sense that we have it today. Um, some think that there really wasn't a rain cycle till after the flood even. Um, I don't know if we clearly see that in Scripture, but there's a case you can make for it. But it seems like when man's created, there's not yet a rain cycle, a water cycle, right? It's just a mist that goes out. So it could be an idea of God using that mist and separating those waters in that way as well. Any other ideas what this could be talking about? Okay, we're going to talk about a couple different ones. So, and and I struggle, you know, a lot of times when we're looking at Genesis, um, I'll take a pretty dogmatic stance on what I believe Scripture's saying. With what we're talking about today, I, I don't honestly don't know. I, I think. There's lots of theories, there's lots of things out there that have validity to them, that have arguments against them. So we're going to weigh through this and just for you guys to be thinking through for whatever it's worth. So one is the one, Jamie, you mentioned. Is that a study Bible or is that just a footnote in? Okay. So 
what you read there is what we call the canopy theory. And this is a theory that um, a lot of creationists have. Henry Morris, who has a great commentary on Genesis, and I think uh, John Whitcomb, they co-wrote a book about the flood, which we'll probably touch on when we get to uh, that idea in Genesis. But they hold to this view of the canopy theory. And sort of what you referenced, Jamie, in that footnote is they view this separation as God's creating some sort of canopy that surrounds the earth. So not just our atmosphere. Maybe the atmosphere is somewhat the remnants of this. Um, But there's some kind of canopy of either ice, water, or water vapor. Okay, There's not too many people that think it's water just because water that altitude and in those circumstances would likely freeze. It'd be hard to keep water at that temperature. Uh, ice, of course, not many people believe that either. And this is because on, if you look at verse 14, when God finally does create the stars and the sun and the moon, what are they for? To map times, seasons, things like that. If earth was surrounded by ice, just like in your freezer, the ice doesn't stay clear. It kind of fogs up, right? It gets uh, almost a coating to it. We wouldn't be able to see the stars if we were surrounded by an ice canopy or a water canopy, okay? So it seems like it makes sense that this wouldn't be either one of those, but people like Henry Morris think that it was some kind of a vapor um, canopy, okay? So it's, it's water vapor, which would have been transparent, that would have surrounded the earth. And so let me read a couple things. He makes a strong case for it, and, and just like your note there, Jamie, it can explain a lot of the um, situations we're seeing prior to the flood. People living longer lives. Um, it can explain, you know, why are, there, why are dinosaurs not around today or certain animals? Why did they go extinct after the flood? This can explain why the environment changed so much. Okay, so let me read a little bit of this, um, but then let me give you some other views from people as well. So, He says, the waters above the firmament thus probably constituted a vast blanket of water vapor above the troposphere and possibly above the stratosphere as well in the high temperature region now known as the ionosphere and extending far into space. They could not have been the clouds of water droplets which now float in the atmosphere because the scriptures say they were above any bow in the cloud. Okay, so Genesis 9 is where it mentions the first sight of a rainbow, so... It almost seems like this, this wasn't in existence prior to the flood. The rainbow was something that came into existence after the flood. So if there's no clouds, if there's no rain, there'd be no rainbow either, right? Um, so he goes on to say, both of which must have been present if these upper waters represented merely the regime of clouds, which functions in the present hydrologic economy. So he's just making the point, rainbows would have existed the way things are made if there were clouds and rain in his view, okay? He goes on, a vapor canopy seems more likely, however, both because of the inferred manner of its formation and because it would have to be transparent in order for the heavenly bodies to give light upon the earth and to be for signs and for seasons and for days and years. Water vapor, even in vast amounts, is invisible, whereas clouds, fog, and so forth are composed of minute droplets of liquid water and are therefore opaque. Furthermore, vapor canopy could be more easily maintained aloft and would serve much more effectively as a marvelous sustainer of vigorous life conditions on the earth. It can be shown that such a canopy would accomplish the following services. And then he gives uh, nine examples, which 
I want to read these because it helps us to think maybe this is an explanation for the way the environment was and why things shifted so dramatically after the flood. You have people, as we're going to see, living 969 years old, Methuselah, hundreds of years, even the lower ones, and then after the flood, life drops. And of course, God <clears throat> mentions after the flood that life is only going to, people are going to live to be like 120 years. But this could be an explanation for why there's such a drop-off. So, he says, since water vapor has the ability both to transmit incoming solar radiation and to retain and disperse much of the radiation reflected from the Earth's surface, it would serve as a global greenhouse maintaining an essentially uniformly pleasant, warm temperature all over the world. So the first one is, this would we wouldn't have ice caps at the North and South Poles. It would be almost a uniform temperature like a greenhouse if there was a, a vapor canopy uh, blocking some of that solar radiation, okay? And which would explain potentially why animals died off after there is polar ice caps on either end, right? And I think I even read somewhere, you know, they found mammoths with that were just frozen instantly with undigested food, you know, in their mouth. So kind of interesting to think about. Um, and you think about when God originally created man, they were naked, right? So this would be an explanation for, you know, we couldn't live in that way today without clothing, without those sort of things. But if the temperature's, you know, 70, 72, uh, and there's not as much variation between night and day, you could, you could do that, okay? With nearly uniform temperatures, great air mass movements would be inhibited and windstorms would be unknown. So there wouldn't be all the wind and tornadoes, things like that. With no global air circ circulation, the hydraulic cycle of the present world could not be implemented, and there could be no rain except directly over the bodies of water from which it might have evaporated. With no global air circulation and therefore no turbulence or dust particles transported to the upper atmosphere, the water vapor in the canopy would have been stable and not precipitate itself, so it wouldn't rain down. The planet would have been maintained not only at uniform temperatures, but also at comfortable uniform humidities by means of daily local evaporation and condensation, like dew or ground fog, in each day-night cycle. The combination of warm temperatures and adequate moisture everywhere would be conductive uh, later to extensive stands of lush vegetation all over the world with no barren deserts or ice caps. A vapor canopy would also be highly effective in filtering out ultraviolet radiations, cosmic rays, and other destructive energies from outer space. These are known to be the source of both somatic and genetic mutations, which decrease the viability of the individual and the species, respectively. Thus, the canopy would contribute effectively to human and animal health and longevity. And he says, some have objected to the idea of a heavy vapor canopy because of the great increase in atmospheric pressure which it would cause at the Earth's surface. Rather than being a problem, however, this effect would contribute still further to health and longevity. Modern biomedical research is increasingly proving that such hyperbaric pressures are very effective in combating disease and in promoting good health generally. There should be no problem in organisms living under high external pressures, provided their internal pressures had time to adjust correspondingly. So some have said that the pressure would be too great, people couldn't live, but if they were born in that environment and you know, there, there was time to acclimate after the flood, that could be an explanation. Hyperbaric chambers people use to aid in healing today. So that pressure might have been another reason people live longer. Last thing he says, later 
when needed, these upper waters would provide the reservoir from which God would send the great flood to save the godly remnant from the hopelessly corrupt population of the day. The content of water vapor in the present atmosphere, if all precipitated, would cover the earth <clears throat> only to a depth of about one inch. So that's where I got that before. If it rained right now, all the water that was in the atmosphere would only cover the earth to one inch, so it wouldn't flood the entire world. But in this view, if there's a vapor, a water vapor canopy that God had there, and then the flood comes, there's water there to lay down on the earth and to cover it uh, to the tops of the highest mountain, okay? All right, let me quickly share a couple arguments against it, and then if you have questions about this today or anything we've covered, I'll do my best to try to answer them, okay? So this is a view that people like Henry Morris, who's done a lot of work with creationism, a uh, very scholarly uh, man. This is what he holds, this canopy theory. However, someone like Ken Ham uh, doesn't agree with the canopy theory, okay? So he, he argues that this theory, uh, one, one, one argument against it is there's a Hebrew word for vapor that God could have used if this was referring to a vapor canopy, but instead it's the word water, separating the waters from the water, so that's one argument he makes. Um, he also argues that this word expanse, what we see is we see it again in verse 14 of Genesis 1. Look at that. It says, And God said, Let there be lights in the expanse of the heavens to separate the day from the night, and let them be for signs for seasons for days and years. So his argument is that this expanse is specifically referring to outer space because it's where the sun, moon, and stars are. And when it mentions the birds being created, if you look at verse 20, God said that the waters swarm with swarms of living creatures, let birds fly above the earth. And then it uses this phrase, across the expanse of the heavens. Or I think the New King James, um, you have that one, Christy, right? Does it say across the face of the expanse? Okay, the face of the firmament. So it's distinguishing sky from space. The expanse, in his view, is outer space, and the area of sky where the birds fly is across the face of the expanse. From our viewpoint, as we're looking at birds flying, you know, we, we can't see anything past them outside of our atmosphere, so it's almost like they're flying across the face of outer space, in a sense, if that, if that makes sense to you. So his argument is that this expanse is space, and so the canopy, as it or as, as these waters are separated, are above the expanse, okay? So if the expanse is space, but there's a view of a canopy theory, that doesn't fit in his view. So he thinks that there is some kind of a boundary to our universe where there's almost a canopy of water, you know, in the far reaches of space, okay? So that's, that's his view. Another argument he makes in Psalm 148, 3 through 6, Again, this view of the canopy is that it's no longer there because when the flood came, this water vapor rained down and flooded, and then as God allowed the mountains and, and land masses to shift, it subsided into the oceans and things like that. But Psalm 148, 3 through 6, seems to suggest that this whatever this canopy, whatever this separation is, is still there. So it says, Praise Him, sun and moon. Praise Him, all you shining stars. Praise Him, you highest heavens and you waters above the heavens. So, same idea, waters above the heavens. Let them praise the name of the Lord, for he commanded and they were created, and he established them forever and ever. He gave a decree and it shall not pass away. Okay? So it seems to suggest that these waters are still there as, 
as the psalmist writes in Psalm 148. <clears throat> I think Henry Morris argued that this verse is just a future state when God recreates, you know, new heavens, new earth, that this would be maybe in place, okay? So I say all that to say, where do, where do I land? I don't know. I see the merits of a canopy theory view. Um, I don't know fully scientifically how plausible that is. It does seem to give some explanation to the environment prior to the flood, but Ken Ham makes some arguments from the text as well that, that makes sense. Or we could just step back and say, this just seems to be God creating the water cycle. It could be as simple as he's creating an atmosphere. And, of course, our atmosphere is so unique to us. There are other planets that have atmospheres, like Venus. But Venus's atmosphere is poisonous and creates the, the hottest temperatures of any planet in our solar system. I think Jupiter has an atmosphere as well, but it's not sustainable to life. Okay, So our atmosphere is nitrogen and oxygen and just perfect for life. It, it clearly speaks to the design of an intelligent creator, right? Um, scientists say there's other planets that could have uh, ha could have an atmosphere or there might be other moons of planets that have an atmosphere, but we know God uniquely has created the earth, made it sustainable with an atmosphere that's, that's suitable for life. And so where, wherever we land, we just need to marvel at God's power to do this, his creative ability to create a sustainable world for the life that he's going to create in the following days, okay? So that's kind of bare minimum. We can have debate about different views and things like that. But are there any questions about anything we've covered today or even something prior that we just ran out of time and didn't have a lot of time to touch on? We're going to wrap up here in just the next few minutes to transition, but we got, we've got time if you have questions. And I can't promise to have the answers, but I'll do my best or... If you have a good question, I'll write it down and we'll try to tackle it in a coming week. Any questions or thoughts? Joseph. Personally, I do, and we'll get to that a little more when we talk about the flood, but yeah, I believe... Yeah, two of every kind were taken on. Uh, someone asked that question last week afterward. <clears throat> I think there were, you know, you think about animals, it doesn't mean you had to have a house cat and a tiger and a lion and a leopard. There was one cat kind, which all cats are now descended from, right? So you have dog kind, wolf, whatever. You have cat kind. So there's not, you know... It is impossible to think of every species of animal today, but every kind, every type of animal, I think was there. And I think probably dinosaurs were there. They didn't have to be full grown. Of course, they say I think the average size of a dinosaur is not real big. Um, but I think a lot of the reason they died out was probably the changing environment after the flood and not being able to adapt to that, maybe being killed off out of fear of these animals. Humans killed them off. We see... Uh, we see animals that go extinct, you know, even today, or are on the verge of it. So, any, does that answer your question? <laughs> yeah, I mean, right, yeah. And Job, we believe, was probably written around the time of Abraham. Yeah. 
Yeah, I mean, I, honestly, I don't see any animals really being described in depth here. There's categories. There's, um, dom- there's domesticated animals, and then beasts are non-domesticated. So I think they'd fit in that category. And I think Job maybe speaks to the reality that these animals did live after the flood. He's around the time of Abraham, we think, Job. So he seems to be describing these creatures that seem to be dinosaurs, but yet probably died off either because of the environment or because, you know, they're hunted because of how scary or terrifying they are. Maybe they're killed by, right. So, yeah, that's that's my my thought. And like I said, we'll get more, a little more in detail probably when we get to um, the flood and that kind of thing. It's, it, I think it has a lot of explanations for what we see with fossils in the geological timetable, okay? Yes. Right, around the surface of the world. That's just, that's what Henry Moore cited. I'm guessing there's a way to know it, or <laughs> it wouldn't have been stated. I don't, there's some way they can track how much water vapor there is, just like, uh, who was it that cited that it was would be three feet, if, I think it was Phil, John Phillips that said, in the course of a year, it precipitates three feet across the world, you know, if all the rain in a year, if you added it up, would be three feet, just constant water being evaporated, so they have some way of knowing that, maybe it's based on when it rains, or, yeah, I don't know how they come to that figure, but somehow they've scientifically been able to say this is how much water there is in the, spa- in, in the sky at any given point, and, um, you know, when you multiply that over the how big the earth is, you can determine that it would be, be an inch. So. Other thoughts, questions? Yes, Debbie. Yeah, and it definitely seems to speak more to a horizontal separation of water below, water above. But yeah, I think when you see, uh, you know, the land's going to be created next, whether there was, and we'll get to this more, but whether there was one body of water and a central land mass, we'll, we'll talk about that. But yeah, either then or when, after the flood is when that separation of salt water and fresh water probably happens. Okay. Mm-hmm. <clears throat> right. Yeah. Right. And that's why it's hard to land somewhere. Right. Right. But we can definitely take away from it that God is intelligently creating a, a habitable world, you know, with the right circumstances. Everything that's in place now, he's put there in place. So, yeah. All right, anything else? The foyer is piling up quickly. 
I want to try to land early today, okay? Let's pray, and then we'll be dismissed, transition on, and um, we'll dive in a little more next week into day, day three. Let's pray. God, we thank you for your word, and uh, we thank you that while we may not fully be able to wrap our minds around uh, everything in regards to your creation, God, we thank you that it is true, um, that we can trust your word, that we can look at the evidence around us, and through the perspective of your um, your word and what you've cre- how you've created, God, we can make sense of the world around us in a way that no one else can. Um, and so, God, just thank you for your word. Help us to rest today on just your power, uh, your omniscience, your sovereignty, and, and creating everything for a purpose. And uh, we thank you um, for the rain that comes and uh, falls and just the blessing that it is um, to, to grow plants and to sustain life. And um, we just thank you for creating this and, and revealing to us how you've done it. So, Lord, just help us to worship you as we think about your power and uh, your intelligence and just to marvel at your creation. Not worship the creation, but worship the creator. And Lord, help us to give you all the praise in Jesus' name. Amen. I do want to say one more thing I forgot to touch on in, in relation to this verse. is We're going to see this throughout the creation account too. Is that We have to understand the timing of when Moses writes this. Is They probably have left Egypt and a lot of the pagan views of creation we talked about in the beginning. But it's interesting, in pagan cultures, there was a, a god of sky and a god of sea, right? And a god of the sun and moon. So what we're going to see throughout this account, too, is that Moses is saying, no, sky is not a god at all. In fact, it's a creation of, of the one true god. The sea is not a god. It is a creation. The sun, moon, and stars that you worship are spoken out by the one true god. So I think it's interesting to note that in light of the context of when this is written. And, of course, it causes us to recognize the one true God and the one true creator. So that's all I had. I, I forgot to mention that and thought about when I was praying, so I wanted to share that for what it's worth.